In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who gives us all we really need. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I have many pet peeves in my life, and a lot of them have to do with language, because I think language is important. Um, there, there's a few different professions out there that think that language is important. Uh, some of your other professions don't believe that it is quite as important, and we know that they are all wrong. So all of you engineers and people like that, you're wrong, because over on my side, we have the philosophers and the lawyers and the pastors, and we all know that language is important. And because of that, a lot of us who are in those professions have pet peeves around the way that other people use language. Well, I know an engineer who drives me up a wall with his language. He doesn't go to church here, so everybody who's an engineer in here, you're okay. Unless you do the same thing this guy does, and then it's questionable. Because this guy has a confusion around the word need. He uses the word need in such a way that it drives me bonkers. Because he will come up to me and he will say, well, Jay, we need this. And... Nine times out of ten, it is not a need at all. It is a want. It is a desire. And it usually involves me having to work in order to give him that thing that he doesn't need, but that he simply wants. But he has learned throughout his life, probably as an engineer, that if he goes to someone and he says, I need this, people will listen to him more than if he is honest with himself and everybody around him, and he says, I would like this. I want this. Well, it drives me kind of crazy, because uh, ever since I was a pretty young kid in high school, uh, I had this drummed into me. I had this one particular phrase drummed into me, uh, seeds, not needs. Seeds, not needs. And uh, my parents and and some of the people around me told me that if I I wanted something, if I even needed something, that the, the way for me to get that was not to approach people with my needs. But rather I was to approach them with seeds, with, well, I have something to offer here. And if we go in this direction that I'm offering, then, um, uh, then everybody can be happy and, and the seed can kind of grow. And so if I wanted a car, I had to prove to my parents how that was a seed, not a need. So I had to, to tell them, okay, if I had a car, this is how it would make life easier for you. You wouldn't have to cart me around to swim practice all of the time. And I had to show how even... What I felt were needs were actually seeds, were actually opportunities to grow things. And uh, while that was important in my life and and even continues to be, I think, uh, it it tends to kind of go along with an issue that we have in our Western culture, which is exactly that confusion of seed and need. Uh, And uh, a lot of times, uh, unfortunately, What this means is that we don't truly see and don't truly embrace our 
neediness. Because we're kind of afraid of that. Because it's so much easier for me to think that I'm in control of everything and that I can go to my parents and that I can pitch them an idea about how I need this or that and how I'm willing to offer something of myself in order to get that thing. But what it doesn't address at the heart of it is any real need that I have. Because being needy in our culture is a very scary place to be. In fact, it's so scary that we have invented all sorts of very interesting ways to shield ourselves from our own neediness. And in fact, we, we use our language about need and want in a way that continues to confuse those things. I, I really need a hamburger from a fast food joint. Well, no. And depending on where you go and how much you eat, that's probably a bad thing for you. It's not a need. It's maybe a want. And wants aren't all bad, but it's not necessarily a need. If you look at our credit card culture in this country, you see the evidence of that writ large all over the place, especially in the terms of compounding interest. And as you begin to see people in our culture rack up massive amounts of principal in terms of credit card debt and think that they are okay Simply by paying that minimum payment, which is usually simply interest plus late fee, and doesn't affect your principal that much at all. And so we go about life continuing to add on and add on to our principal and continuing to pay off little chunks so that we can feel good about ourselves. We continue to work out what it really is that we need. And we think, well, what I need is 30 bucks so that I can get to the next month and I am simply going to ignore that $30,000 that is looming over my head. It's fortunately not that uncommon of a story if you ask people around you. Probably quite a few of them have dealt with that exact problem of thinking that everything is okay because they just simply continue to pay off the minimum amount and never take a look at the principal. Well, that's a little bit of what we're talking about today. And I know that this sermon is supposed to be about the book of Hebrews, but we're actually going to start in the gospel lesson, if that's all right. Because I think the gospel lesson really brings across the law of this sermon really well. Because the law of this sermon is 
it has to do with basically this idea of principal and compound interest. You see, you have the, the scribes who are basically trying to pay off all of their debt with God through all of these different things that they're doing. They love to uh, do all of this stuff. They love to pay down that small amount by having long robes, by having the best seat, by doing all of these little things and sort of chipping away at what it is to be righteous and just being righteous enough that they can get to the next part of their life and just being righteous enough to have that nice seat and to have those long robes and to do all of that stuff. And, and, and they like to just kind of chip away at it. And, and Jesus looks at them and he says, Oh, you have no idea how much principle is actually over your head. Because you just keep on paying off this little bit of interest. You, you just keep on paying off this little, tiny chunk that in the grand scheme of things doesn't amount to anything. And throughout it, they think that they are rich. Perhaps monetarily rich, but also rich in terms of their standing with God. They think, I'm, I'm alright with God, I'm okay with Him. It's, it's all good. Because I just keep on chipping away. And then this widow comes through. Well, and this widow, she wrecks everything. This widow comes in, and she gives two copper coins. Blink! Into the offering box. And Jesus is there watching the offering plate, which I think that is fun. I mean, can you imagine Jesus sitting there watching you as you put your money in the offering plate? He actually does. Um, scary. And he's watching and he's like, uh-huh, yeah. He knows your heart. It's frightening. And he knows that it is this woman's last two pennies. She's dropping off in the offering plate there. And, and he's amazed at that. But I think sometimes we make this woman out to maybe be a little bit more than, uh, well, what she should be. I mean, we, we make it out to be that um, this woman maybe isn't really poor, isn't really in need. Because in our heads, we think to ourselves, if she just held on to those pennies, she could go and buy nothing. You can't buy crap for 20 pennies. Much less two. She was absolutely and totally needy. And her decision to give those pennies came out of the fact that she was absolutely and totally in despair. She didn't have enough money bringing along with her to go and pray to God that morning or that afternoon, whenever it was. 
She didn't have enough on her to even buy one of those pancakes that the widow of Zarephath was going to make for her and her son before they died. She didn't have enough for that. And so she looked at her poverty and she said, well, I can do two things with this. I can do, well, nothing. And I can give it to God. But isn't it interesting that even knowing that she could do nothing with those pennies, that there's still a part of us that would understand if she held on to them. There's still a part of us that would understand if she said, well, I've got nothing, but this is what little I have. Let me go and pray and ask God for more. But it's not what she did. What she did was she went and before she went to go to pray to God, she said, let me be unencumbered by any idea that I have any way of saving myself. Clink. And let me go and plead with God for my life. And maybe it'll work. Maybe God will say no and he'll just let me die. I was talking about this reading with somebody this week and I thought, you know, we we always assume that she makes it out okay. Maybe she didn't. Maybe God just let her die. It would be okay. And so maybe you're sitting there wondering, what is this? Some kind of weird stewardship sermon? Am I supposed to drop my entire wallet in the offering plate when it comes by later on today? Well, we just had a budget meeting, and so that maybe wouldn't be a bad idea as we look at things. But really, that's just a reflection of where your heart's at. It's a reflection of where these Pharisees' hearts were at. It's a reflection of where this widow's heart was at. And that reflection is a reflection on how truly poor you are. I know we're not using this in in this season's confession, but when we confess together and when we say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, I think that we think in some ways that that's a richness that we have. Hey God, look at all of the sins that I have for you. Please forgive. It's a poverty. It's the same thing when we look at her credit bill and we we say, holy mackerel, look at this principle. I'll just pay down that little bit. That's where we are in our standing with God. Utterly bankrupt. 
utterly impoverished. Even in debt to God for the things that he has given us that we cannot pay him back for. We are the widow. And when we give, a lot of times it shows exactly how well we understand that. And when we come to God and give to Him of our lives, it shows how well we understand that. Do you sing in this service like you've got nothing? Do you confess your sins in this service like you've got nothing? Do you listen to the sermon? Like you've got nothing? Well, thankfully, the gospel comes to us by way of the book of Hebrews. The gospel comes to us by way of this amazing sort of metaphysical understanding of what is happening in our souls when we gather together here and we confess our sins and we sing and we listen to sermon and we give in the offering plate. All of what is happening is centered around this idea of when Jesus comes to the Father. And instead of giving time and time and time and time again, Jesus, just like the widow, gives once up there of his entire life. Not out of some sense of holding anything back, but he just gives. And he gives enough. He gives enough. For all of us. And when we confess our sins, he says, yeah, that's taken care of. I I think that we think that we surprise God when we confess our sins or even when we do sin. That uh, when we come here on Sunday morning, that uh, when we tell God our sins, we're kind of like, hey, God, by the way, um, I know you weren't planning on this, but uh, I got really angry. And I said some bad words. And I really abused your name and your identity. And God is not surprised. He says, I knew that. It's covered. Jesus paid for that. And time after time again, we come and we say, hey, God, by the way, we also did this sin. Uh, I'm not sure that you were ready for that one. And God says, no, I was. Jesus paid for that one, too. It's like God, at the end of our life, looks at what our credit card principle would be and says, okay, I know what that's going to be. I'm going to write a check for it. Here's my son. And so God is never surprised, but we always are. Because we always come to God because we don't know what that end credit card bill is. We don't know what that end amount of sin is going to be. But we go to him and we say, I'm not sure that you can handle this. And he says, I already did. Not time and time again. God is not kind of adjusting to us and dealing with our sins every Sunday. He, you know, he gets a new bunch of work to do. And then he just gets it done on Saturday night before he has to listen to all of your confessions again. 
It's done. And the amazing thing about every one of these readings, save the psalm, which is doing something else but still in the same thing, every one of these readings, God is giving of a one-time gift over and over and over again to fulfill needs. That this woman is giving a one-time gift, this widow. That God gives the widow of Zarephath a one-time gift. These jars that keep on giving and giving and giving. And finally, that Jesus Christ, dying once and going into heaven, gives a one-time gift that makes all of us holy enough to enter into His presence. He gave once and gave us all that we need. Amen.